Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. All right, guys, I have a really great episode for you today. I am chatting with Rebecca Poe. Rebecca is a former special ed teacher, a national teaching conference presenter, and an educational consultant. And we're talking inclusion because Rebecca's like the inclusion expert. She's working on her first book, Blueprint for Inclusion, which will be out summer of 2024. And I feel like she's really giving us a sneak peek into her book because we go in depth into the challenges that educators face when trying to set up successful inclusive opportunities. And then of course, we dive into those action tips. How can we increase inclusion for all types of students? What really inclusion is? We dive into some of the strategies for working with reluctant teachers and how to get more inclusive opportunities for our students in self-contained classrooms. And really what are the benefits for all of the student involved? So let's go ahead and hear our conversation with Rebecca Poe. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to chat with you today about a topic that I feel like I actually haven't covered a ton on the podcast, which is inclusion. And I know that's something you're super passionate about. Yes, absolutely. That is, you know, I started my career working in a self-contained classroom as a paraprofessional and just really wanted more for the students that I was working with. And then, you know, on down the road, finishing my master's degree, inclusion is just something that I've really advocated for, for all of my students. And that's something that I think teachers get a little nervous to do, right? Especially in that 
self-contained room. It's like, you don't know what you're allowed to ask for and what you're not. So I love that it's something that you're talking about and, and really sharing info and resources on because it can help motivate teachers to ask for more. Definitely. I think, you know, for a lot of general education teachers, when they're taking their courses to get teacher certification, they're offered like one class in special education. And it's just like, here's the tip of the iceberg. Now go into your classrooms. By the way, you have five to 10 students with IEPs that you have to provide services for. Yes. And that's and that can be very very overwhelming. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of getting... Because, you know, the idea of really successful inclusion, and we, you know, I'm sure you've seen it done right and wrong, you know, many times, Mm -hmm. that overwhelming, intimidating nature, I think, pops in everyone's head right away. So let's kind of start off. What are some of the the challenges to doing inclusion right? So I think for, for some of the teachers, there can be a disconnect between the idea of inclusion and what it actually means. So I've worked at schools before where they're like, oh, this is the inclusion classroom. Like, well, (laughs) inclusion isn't a physical location. It's a mindset. It's a belief that, you know, all students can and should belong in the learning environment. So there's just kind of a disconnect between what they, what people think inclusion is and what it actually is. And a lot of that comes from, you know, a lack of communication with like between general education and special education teachers. There's limited class time for teachers to provide inclusive instruction, to provide the accommodations that the students need, and just a lack of understanding about what it what it actually is. Yeah, I think that's a great point on the mindset versus location because I too have been mm-hmm. to many schools where it's like, oh, he's in the inclusion class. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> like, mm. is he and, though? And if you're having to call yeah. it that, is he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that that time piece, you know, I know it's a struggle for everything, right? Like, how do I train my parents? How do I take data? How do I do this? I just don't have enough time for anything. And there's such pressure exactly. put on teachers now with caseloads and resources that that time for communication and collaboration becomes the biggest hurdle no one can get over. Mm -hmm. And it can be so difficult because there's only so many hours in the day and, you know, you don't want to use your off contract time at school and you've got a family at home or, you know, it's your time that you want to be spending. It's difficult to make the time and find the time in our busy, ever-changing schedules to meet with all of the team members, all of the student supporters to like say, okay, this is my role in this. This is your role in this. This is how we come together. Yeah. So what has been successful for you in the different settings you've worked with for moving towards a more successful inclusive community and really embracing that mindset of really what inclusion is, what strategies have worked for you? Honestly, at the beginning of the year, just trying to sit down with my gen ed teachers and like, because we have to give out the IEPs at the beginning of the year and 
I made like an IEP at a glance form. I know some IEP programs will generate that automatically. None of mine ever did. I didn't know that was a thing that other people's would do. And I was really <laughs> jealous of that because I'm taking my time to make <laughs> IEP at a glance forms. But it put everything that my Jenna teachers needed to really know on one page. And then I could provide examples of what these accommodations are. You know, these are going to be the service times. This is when I'm going to be pushing into the classroom. This is when, if I'm going to be pulling out, this is when we'll be pulling out. But trying to, trying to find ways to be proactive to potential problems rather than waiting for those problems to occur. So if I know, all right, when I was teaching third grade resource, I know our third grade uses the same curriculum year after year. So we actually sat down once at the beginning of the year to prep materials and we went ahead and made accommodated versions of the tests. Like we chunked the tests into smaller sections. We took away a couple answer choices because I knew we had some students who were coming in that had that as an accommodation. So we did that at the beginning of the year and then the next year it was already done. So we didn't have to try to spend all of that time to do it. And it did take a little bit of time at the beginning, but it saved us so much time during the rest of the year that we could actually use for instruction and providing services. That's a, And thinking long-term too of like, yes, this is going to be a big time chunk now, but this is going to then be able to be reused year after year. And those other, for those gen ed teachers too, like, again, that saving time thing that we're, you know, not going to have extra time in the next few years, but it's going to make everything more efficient later. Right. Yeah. And that's always the goal. It's like, if I do a little bit of extra work now, it's going to save me some time later. And then everything was ready. We saved all of it in um, a Google Drive folder and, you know, they're able to use it year after year. As long as we're using that curriculum, then they're able to still have access to those accommod- like pre-accommodated tests. Yeah. So with teachers that you've worked with, you know, I think inclusion goes, in my experience, has gone really easy when you have two teachers that both want the vision, right? They're there for it. Mm-hmm. We're going to make it work. It, I think it gets hard, obviously, when we have teachers that are more reluctant to that. And not that any teacher like doesn't want this beautiful version of inclusion, but people are set in their ways. People are intimidated, overwhelmed, you know, et cetera, and are reluctant, maybe to put it nicely, um, to embrace those inclusive practices. In those situations, what advice do you have? I think really trying to help them understand what inclusion actually is, because a lot of times we hear these words, we hear inclusion, accommodations, um, modifications, things like that, and it just seems like another thing to put on the to-do list. It's like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. now I have to worry about, you know, provi- making all of these accommodations and providing this instructional time and, okay, which student is supposed to, you know, have preferential seating away from distractions versus who's supposed to have preferential seating closer to the board so they can see better. Like there's just a lot that seems very overwhelming, but what I've had the most success with, with those teachers who think I can't do one more thing. And I think, you know, all teachers, we've all thought that before. Like, I cannot take on one more thing. But often the best practices that are that you need to use for your special education students 
are also going to be best practices for your general education students. And often when I would go into a classroom to observe, after that observation, I'm able to tell the teacher, did you know you're already doing XYZ? And she's like, oh, well, I've been doing that for years. I'm like, well, that's an accommodation. That's inclusion. Mm-hmm. That's best practice. That's, you know, your research-based strategy. And it's always a little mind-blowing for them. They're like, oh, well, I just, I just, you know, the kids need it. So I was doing that. I'm like, that's, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You're doing it. And I think, you know, when we stop looking at it as one more thing to do, for like a very small group of kids and look at it as this is what's best for all of the students, then it it makes it make a lot more sense and it makes it a lot more feasible for teachers who are already feeling very overwhelmed by what they're already doing. Yeah. And I think that's a great strategy because right off the bat, you're you're telling someone what they're doing right, which is just going to build rapport and trust mm-hmm. and a better, you know, professional relationship. I, yeah. I su- too often, especially with consultants in that role, see people come in and be like, "Here's all the things you're doing wrong," and then that teacher's immediately like, "Nope, I'm done with you." <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so starting off on that on that positive, just from like a professional collaborative standpoint, is is so mm-hmm. important. We kind of forget that. Absolutely. And the, you know, that idea of it, it works for everyone. I, I talk about that all the time too, that, you know, the strategies we're sharing aren't like special ed voodoo strategies. Like they're just best practices that will help any struggling learner. And the more we can explain that, well, more that we'll get to that like inclusive mindset you were talking about. Exactly. That reminded me of, there was an old commercial. It's been several, several years ago, but it was talking about, um, people with quote unquote special needs and everyone in the commercial um, had down syndrome and they're talking about like, my needs aren't special. They're just human. They're human needs. And that commercial has obviously stuck with me for a very long time. One of the, one of the girls who was in it um, was one of the actresses on Glee, the old Fox show Oh, and yeah. one of her one of her lines was like, "If I needed to eat dinosaur eggs for breakfast, that would be a special need. But <laughs> you know, needing support to communicate with my friends is not a special need. That's a human need. And I just loved the shift away from these needs are special. These needs are different. These needs are extra. To no, this is this is what we all need. And I love that. Yeah." yeah. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And then it, it doesn't feel, like you said before, it doesn't feel like another thing on your plate. It just feels like what you're already doing as an educator. Exactly. So I've got, um, I have a book coming out next summer. It's called Blueprint for Inclusion. Um, I'm really excited about it. But one section of the book, I'm kind of diving into the differences between universal design for learning, UDL, and then differentiation and then accommodations and how it's it all kind of tiers 
mm-hmm. you know, top down, like universal design for learning kind of is an overarch- overarching, you know, this is ways we can alter the curriculum to work for the students. And then it dives into differentiation, which is more, you know, instruction, classroom environment, and then accommodations are specific to individual students. So if you are already looking at guidelines of UDL, you're covering those needs. If you're already differentiating your instruction and your process, you're meeting those needs. So it's just the specific ones for individual students, the accommodations that you really need to be focusing on. If you're already doing best practices on those other tiers, the accommodations is is a logical next step. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's a nice way to think. I like visually too, to like see that, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you can't in, see in me because world. it's a podcast, but I was talking with my hands and I had my <laughs> I was my picturing hands it, Rebecca. I like UDL and then a little closer together for differentiation than very narrow for accommodations. But I I'm totally I'm a hands talker. <laughs> <laughs> I totally got it. You know, mm-hmm. ideally, you know, we're gonna sell teachers with all of this these ideas, which I think is really great. But what about those teachers that you know, you, you've done the training, you've done the rapport building, the collaboration, you know, all this and accommodations are just not being followed like time and time again. What is your advice then? So that can be a very tricky situation. I feel like, especially if you're a newer special education teacher and the teacher that is not following the IEP as well as they should be is a little bit more of a veteran than you are. Mm -hmm. And I have, I have personally experienced that. Um, we've, we've struggled, we butted some heads, but I started by just going in and watching the class. Okay. Where's the disconnect happening? So I was able to pinpoint, okay, this student needs this accommodation in this situation. And it was a little more work for me. I was like, how can I make sure that it's easier for the general education teacher to meet those accommodations. So once I could see where the disconnect was, I was able to sit down with that teacher and say, okay, you are showing a lot of text on, at that time we had um, ViewSonic boards. You're showing a lot of text on the ViewSonic boards. My students are not necessarily able to read that. They need audio. So we found a Google Chrome extension that we could put on the students' Chromebooks that enabled them to have the text on their Chromebooks read to them. They wore their headphones and they were able to listen to it that way. And that was just something that, you know, it was a very simple solution, but the teacher who had been around for quite some years, you know, this was just after COVID happened, we're all swapping to technology-based instruction, she was out of her element mm-hmm. and didn't didn't really know how she was going to be able to use the technology in a better way. She was using it like a textbook. Like this is yeah. this is your book, but it's on a screen instead of on paper. So just educating her a little bit on, well, th- this is what you can do with the technology that we have to use those accommodations for the student. Cause she was like, well, how are they supposed to be able to 
I can't read it to them. I'm like, well, if it was in their IEP, then yes, you would. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> we were able to use, you know, accessibility features on the Chromebook to provide their accommodations. If I had just said, well, you have because- to, if you... If I had gone into that classroom and told the teacher, you have to find a way to make this work, you have to provide this accommodation, it's your job, it's, you know, IEPs are a legal document, again, that would have just put her completely on the defensive. But instead, I went in, saw exactly what was happening, and was able to find a solution, a very easy solution. Like, we, it took all of five minutes to download the the extension and then the students were able to access the material just like their non-disabled peers. I love that example because sometimes the tech issues are in the way. And if and if a teacher doesn't feel confident in utilizing technology, I get that. Like I'm not I'm not confident in all aspects of technology. If someone asked me to set up like, you know, an audio visual system, I'd be like, I don't know. So <laughs> being able to see that, like, okay, like maybe this person isn't as fluent as the in this, but like I am, mm-hmm. or I could help and we could do it together. And yeah, it probably took you more time than saying it's the IEP follow it, but you both walked away with a successful situation. So right. being that like detective and that I think is important. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I, I know that as special education teachers, our time is precious and our time is very limited, but we have to also be willing to work with the general education teachers. We have to be willing to work with the parents. We can't just, as a special education teacher, our job isn't just to teach the students. Our job is to make sure that they're getting the best educational services across the board. You know, we write those IEPs in a way that is going to ensure that they are being provided with the supports that they need. And often supports for a student involve communicating with the general education teacher to make sure they understand the IEP, to make sure they understand how to implement the accommodations. We're not just there for the students. We're, we're leading a team to support the student in their academic progress. Yeah, so true. And then it's really just part of our, it's like another student on our caseload, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that your caseload is big enough. <laughs> so thinking about, I know you started your career in the self-contained classroom and, mm-hmm. and thinking about those teachers now where inclusion feels, I don't, I don't know what the right phrase is, more, even more challenging or even of a bigger mountain to climb on, on how to do it well and how to do it right for teachers and really for parents too that have kids in self-contained classrooms, how can we get more inclusive opportunities that aren't just specials? Because we see that so often, right? Well, mm-hmm. the student goes to gym with their peers and you're like, cool, cool. That's all you got? Like, Yay. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. What else? You know, so because we see that what time and time again. Exactly. And, sometimes that's, and sometimes that's not even happening. You know, we're not even going to specials with our peers. So right. how can we go beyond that when – you know, the difference in skill set between the students in the self-contained classroom and their neurotypical peers feels really big. Communication styles are very different. How can we think outside the box on other ways to to make inclusion happen there? So I think, you know, as, as teachers, as special education teachers especially, data drives everything. Like, we have to be able to show the data, like, that this student is able to go into this classroom for maybe not the entire class, but for part of the day, you know, show 
the academic data, show the behavioral data. You know, is the student going to be able to sit in this classroom with their non-disabled peers and participate actively? A lot of it also has to do with the general education teacher being open and willing to that. I was so lucky when when I was teaching. There was a, my very first elementary school that I that I taught at. Um, I had a student. I'd had him first grade self-contained, second grade self-contained, and he was making so much progress that we really wanted him to be able to participate in the gen ed classrooms. He was not a significant behavior issue. He academically, we knew he'd be able to do it. Um, and I had a third grade general education teacher who was like, put him on my roster, give him to me. I will, you know, she was amazing at providing accommodations. She, well, like if everyone could go to the, her name is Amy Colvert. If anyone could go <laughs> and observe Miss Colvert in her third grade classroom, it it was just miraculous. This woman is a phenomenal educator. She was like, "Give him to me. Put him on my put him on my roster." She provided him support in the general education classroom. He came to me for some academic services to kind of try to finish bridging the gap between where he was functionally academic wise to being on grade level. And the the coolest thing about this story for this kid is that he was not zoned for my school, but his zoned school did not have a self-contained classroom. They were very, very small. So he was being bused to my school for the self-contained classroom. And he was able to go to third grade in general education. It was a success. And he was able to go back to his zoned school with all of his neighborhood friends. And he's he's still there. He still is being provided special education services, but he is completely fully included in all of the general education classes. And he he's a kid that I will never forget ever. Oh, I love that. And it's those stories that like help you see how, you know, it, it can work if you have the team members in place. Yes. Yeah. I wish everybody had a Miss Colbert to work with. She <laughs> she made it so wonderful because if it had just been me saying, I think he can do this. Here's the data. Let's try it out. But the general education teacher wasn't on board with it and looked for reasons of why this wasn't going to work. Like everyone has to be willing to problem solve. Like, okay, these are going to be some potential situations that could come up. What will we do in this situation? There needs to be a plan in place. Like if, if the student is unable to participate fully, what can, what's the plan that we can fall back on? So I would, you know, trying to get your student into more, general education classes, you get them be more included outside of a self-contained classroom. A lot of times you just have to find somebody willing to work with you and to work with that student. And it can be so successful. And I saw that with, with this kid. Yeah. I love that. Thinking about students that maybe are not ready academically for 
I would say at like language arts, math, you know, that kind of like mm-hmm. core academic subjects for inclusion within maybe their gen ed classroom, but could for, you know, social, emotional or independent functioning goals. I, and like speaking personally here, when I was in the classroom, I struggled often to balance, you know, the academic instruction we're getting in the self-contained classroom with pushing for inclusive opportunities to work on social emotional goals, like finding that sweet spot of like, I want them in the classroom with me because we're learning so much, but I also want them outside mm-hmm. of the classroom because they're learning so much there too. And like, do you, do you kind of get, see what I'm saying? I, I struggled with that a lot on where to, yeah. how much to push on that, if that makes sense. I totally get that. One one thing that we would do if we had students who we were trying to get into more of the gen ed classes, but we're not academically ready for for that. We would do all of the math and ELA instruction in the self-contained classroom. And then the student could push into the science portion of the day or the social studies portion of the day. So they're still getting that core standards-based instruction that they need in the self-contained classroom. Because a lot of times the curriculums are different. If they're in a self-contained classroom as opposed to a general education classroom, the state assessments are often different. At least I know they are in Alabama. Um, but the, the science classes, the social studies classes, um, you know, anything kind of, not that those are extra, but they're not the IEP goal. This is what we're working on. Those classes I was able to send my students to, they could, you know, have peer role models in that class, somebody that they could learn from. They had, you know, they were able to improve their communication because they're talking to students who don't necessarily have a speech language impairment or a learning disability. It worked on their social skills. And it it also helps increase the staff collaboration because it forces special education and general education teachers to talk back and forth, which is what's best for the student in general. That you know we are a team. We have to be working together. I know in in my state, and I think nationwide. Sorry, edit that out because I know it's nationwide. That was a stupid yeah. thing to say. No, that's fine. <laughs> Let it out. <laughs> right. In IEP meetings, you're required to have a general education teacher as part of the IEP team. So if your students are not getting to spend time in the general education classroom, that teacher is going to come into that meeting and not really have any input, not really have anything to say. It's just going to be a signature on a piece of paper, which is not the point of having a general education teacher on the IEP team. So when your students are pushing into these classes and they're working on these other skills, that's going to give the special education teacher valuable information about possibly not academics, but about functional skills, social skills, behavioral skills. How are they communicating all of these different aspects of an IEP that go way beyond, okay, what does this student need academically? And it transforms it into what does this student need to be successful in school in general, to be successful with their peers rather than, okay, how can we get this test score up? It's how can we support this child as a whole person? And so often those things go together in such a huge way that people don't see. Like those are typically executive functions, which we need to increase our academics. So it's going to make everything better and more progress in the long run anyways. 
Exactly. And it's also, it's beneficial for the general education students as well to, you know, it increases their understanding of students who might be different from them. It increases, it increases their acceptance of diversity. It gives them the opportunity to be around people who might be different from them and see that, you know, they're, it's different, not less. And I, I've, I've heard that phrase so many, so many times. Um, but for our general education students, they need to know that not everyone is like them, but that doesn't mean that they're less than them, that it doesn't mean that they don't need the opportunity to be a friend to someone like it. It just it supports the whole idea of inclusion. It's not just to be physically present in the same room it's to be an included accepted member of of this classroom of this community of their peers yes i mean that was going to be what what i was going to ask you to wrap up on and you read my brain yeah like it, it's <laughs> important for everyone not just not just our our students that have an iep but for that entire classroom. And it's not just about those kids. It's about every single child in that room. Absolutely. And I think it's like selling, selling everyone on that beautiful vision of why, why <laughs> we need it. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me a little more about your book before we wrap up? I would love to hear more about it. Yes. Yeah, so I recently started working on, on my book back at the beginning of the fall and I really wanted something that was able to support a general education teacher who was teaching students with IEPs in an inclusive setting. So the book covers, you know, how you can make your classroom more inclusive. What does that actually look like? What are the action steps that you can take for that? But it also covers a lot of the information that leads up to that, like what goes into special education eligibility? What are the different categories of disability covered under IDEA? So there's a little bit of technical work in the beginning before we get into, all right, so now we we know this student has qualified. We know how this student is qualified. Now, how can we teach them the best way? So it's going to cover behavior practices. It's going to cover providing accommodations, the difference between accommodations and modifications, because while the terms are similar, they are not the same thing. And a lot of people use them interchangeably because they don't, they don't know because they didn't go to school for special education. They took one class in college because that's what was offered. And as far as I know, there's not a lot of special education courses, special education books that are geared toward general education teachers. Typically, if you get a book on special education, it's on students in a more of a self-contained setting. So I really wanted something that a general education teacher could pick up and read and be able to take back into their classroom and start implementing some of these strategies the next day. Yes, so needed because you're right. There's really not that much out there for that group. So what a valuable resource that will be. 
Thank you. I'm very excited and, about it. It's it's definitely turned into uh, a labor of love. I feel like I'm <laughs> <laughs> getting ready for another baby, which I am not by any means, but that's, that's kind of how it feels like, okay, we've got a few more months to go. I need to do X, Y, Z, and then it's going to be here. <laughs> the due date. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, well, congrats. And, and where can people go to learn more from you in the meantime until your book comes out? So the most play, like, The place I am most active is probably Instagram. Um, I have a blog, bless its heart. It's very neglected. I post on it maybe once a month. I'm trying to get better, but this book is taking up all of my time. But if you are looking for a way to get in touch with me, if you're looking for quick tips, resources, you can find me on Instagram at Rebecca Poe Teaching. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Rebecca. It's so much fun talking with you about inclusion. Yes, I loved it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.